0: Now we're looking at what's a kind of a pretty cool final four in the sense that fresh set of teams here, and, and you know, uh, St. John's and Whitewater have been this far before. North Central Muhlenberg never have, and and so I mean they've the North Central's been to the semifinals, but it would be their first Stag Bowl. So uh, there's something we've got like the history and the and the the names on one side, and you've got the the fresh uh, folks on the other side. You have these two quarterbacks who are probably. Uh, going head to head for the Gallardi Trophy, and also potentially going head to head in Shenandoah, new site for the Stag Bowl. Got defensive stars on Muhlenberg, and um, Johnny Magic is happening, and and Whitewater is feeling like maybe they're they're chan- got a chance to get back to uh, championship and add to their um, their run of of uh, six titles that they won in nine years. So there's all this this stuff happening, and even though we kind of have to go away for a few days live our lives, when you get into this six-day stretch for D3 and and not just for us but obviously for the players, uh, when you've got a a game on Saturday, somebody's going to advance to the championship and then play on Friday. And so that week that normally is a seven-day week is condensed by a day and and it's going to be condensed even further because both teams will be flying into Texas, unlike last year where uh, the, the team from Texas got to drive up to Shenandoah these teams will be coming from, you know, Pennsylvania or Chicago or somewhere like that, flying into Houston. It'll be such a, uh, a condensed week for all of us, but it's also the climax of our season. And so even though, you know, we've got to put our Christmas shopping on hold or, or what have you, um, this is sort of what we all uh, live for. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan.
1: It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast Your twice weekly show About the largest division Of college football We welcome you to podcast Number 267 The one with the games On ESPN3 It is season 13 Number 30 Or the podcast For December 13th Of 2019 Thank you for downloading us And tuning us in I'm Pat Coleman The executive editor Of D3Football.com
0: And I'm Keith McMillan The longtime co-host Former player And good looking one that's probably fair that was uncalled for
1: (laughs) hey you know if i'm nothing if not self-effacing and you've got the better face to self-efface with so that's good hey uh this is of course the time of the year where we're down to just the four teams right uh obviously there's another playoff starting up that starts with four teams we have eliminated 28 teams already and before that We eliminated another 220, and we are down to these final four teams. We are down to Muhlenberg. We're down to North Central. We're down to St. John's and we're down to UW-Whitewater, none of whom have ever been to Shenandoah before. None of the players on any of these rosters has now played in a stag bowl. It has been that long since Whitewater went, and of course it has been much longer since St. John's went, and neither of the other two have ever been there. We talk about the fresh faces of the uh, potential stag bowl matchups in 2019. Keith, this is exactly what
0: we're talking about, this sort of stuff. Well, yeah, and and the unspoken thing there is that Mary Harden Baylor, last year's champion and also a school that was about three hours, maybe four hours drive from Shenandoah, if you drive really slowly. Um, and Mountain Union, the the two teams that have been to the last, uh, they've met in the last two Stag Bowls. They've won the past four between them. They're not here this year. And so as much as D3 is exciting over the course of the season for teams that rise up. And the law said you got to rise up. And and the turnover in certain conferences. Usually when you get to, to this level, and we're talking about Final Eight, Final Four, and the Stag Bowl, it's some familiar faces. And, and it's not to say that Muhlenberg, which won a couple playoff games last season, North Central, which has been a playoff mainstay since the early 2000s, uh, not to say those aren't familiar faces, but at this level and with a chance to get back to the Stag Bowl, you know, this is all a big deal for all four of these teams. This is this is new because Whitewater, as as noted, hasn't been back in a while. And the expectation there, I think, is to get to the Stag Bowl. They haven't done it under Kevin Bullish. The six championships were won with Lance Leipold as the coach. He's now still the coach, as far as I know, at University of Buffalo. Yeah, St. John's uh, hasn't been to the Stag Bowl with uh, with Gary Fosching as the head coach. Uh, he's been the head coach for a handful of years now, but has not. Taking the Johnnies to the promised land, and he's got a quarterback who can get them there. So does North Central. That's uh, the younger Thorne, who took over for his father, who pretty much built North Central football up from uh, from scratch, or at least from being an also ran. And uh, it's been a great program. There's been years when they've been quarterfinalists, they've been a semifinalist before. Um, but but never had such a great chance to get through to the Stag Bowl. Also great quarterback, great offensive line, and, uh, and some playmakers sprinkled throughout that offense. And then Muhlenberg, everything they did last season to get to Mount Union in the quarterfinal round this year basically blowing through their first three playoff games, including beating a very good Salisbury team last week, 24 to eight. Salisbury didn't score until the fourth quarter of that game. That was a team that had put up 62 the week before, 83 the week before that. So mm-hmm. looking at four teams that I think each have a chance to win the stag wall, that are excited, that are in position to do something that, that is, would be a really big deal for their football program. And in some cases for their, for their school, for their athletic program, for the region, that they reside in, it it could be a really big deal if we're talking about um, Muhlenberg winning a stag bowl for their conference, Um, it would be a huge deal. But three of these teams are gonna end up disappointed over the next week or so. Disappointed! So I, I think as exciting as this all is, maybe that's why it's so exciting because only one team can hoist the Walnut and Bronze.
1: We will talk with uh, players from each of these four teams. We have had all four of these coaches on the podcast in the last year or so. Uh, Some of them, obviously, much more recently. We're going to talk with uh, players from each of the four teams coming up in just a moment but I have to tell you that this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It you find them at Got to GottaHaveItFanFoams.com yeah these are the people who do the officially licensed 3D foam fan wall signs I'm planning on putting one in my duffel bag or suitcase I'm not sure what I'm packing to take to Whitewater uh, tomorrow, that's another thing that I have to do before we uh, b- before I get to go to sleep tonight. So that's a thing. But uh, you know, it's a the thing is uh, these are really high quality, sharp looking things that uh, go great on your wall. They go great, uh, you know, at your tailgate, and that's why I'm thinking of bringing that uh, Whitewater one to Warhawkville and maybe leaving it with someone who can enjoy it even more than I can.
0: Yeah, and and these are stag low quality. Pieces of uh, of art almost, and, and, and it's not an exaggeration at all. It's something that is, uh, as you mentioned, light, durable. You can take it to and from the tailgate, um, but it's also kind of the way it's cut and and stacked together. It looks really official, and it's um it's just a really cool thing for you to have a, as a D3 program. It just gives you that that like I said in the last podcast, almost like a professional team feel. This um you know this logo that's sort of not quite life size. but uh, but also bigger than than a little sticker you might slap on your car. So really cool product, and we're really thrilled that they've supported us through the season, and we love for you as listeners who've been so great uh, supporting the podcast and supporting D3Football.com over the past two decades to also support Gotta Have It Fanful. Holy crap, two decades.
1: Yeah, find out more about it at gotahabitfanfomes.com. And if you are a coach or a marketing person, a sports information director, someone in the alumni association who is you know, looking for something to do for their team here in the offseason, for their fans, are headed into next season, go visit that website and go see what they can do for your school. gotahabitfanfomes.com. Keith, as I mentioned, we are going to talk with players from all four teams. But, uh, of course, we had a little bit more news that dropped this week. Uh, first off, you know, we alluded to the fact that this was certainly possible. And then the uh, news was made official on Tuesday morning that uh, Mike Swider, the uh, 24-year head coach at Wheaton, had retired. Uh, I know when I read this that I was glad to see that it wasn't a decision that was made after the game, you know when you know these sort of things can be made. You know, maybe in in an emotional state, right? You don't want to make a hasty decision off of an, an emotional loss like that. This was something that had been, in fact, decided going into the season. But still, a uh, of course, a, a great run for Wheaton, and will be interesting to see what happens there going forward.
0: Well, certainly in terms of coaching candidates, because there are other folks from the Wheaton tree who have uh, have had success. Um, you know Pedro Aruza from Randolph making comes to mind because he has a a playoff team or a team that's at least challenging for its conference title uh, each season. He's got that up and running. Maybe uh, Wheaton would be interested in uh, in trying to hire him. They're also always internal candidates from very successful programs with longtime coaches. We mentioned Kevin Bolus. We mentioned Gary Fashing. Those guys were uh, were internal candidates. Nate. Nate Milne, the head coach of Muhlenberg, was was an internal hire as well, although he hadn't been at Muhlenberg nearly all that long when, when he uh, had to take over. So uh, and and North Central's coach, the son of the of the former head coach, was a uh, was an internal candidate. So sometimes the best move, even when you uh, when you have a national search, is is to hire from within. But Wheaton when you, when you have such a successful program for such a long time, there's also folks that are, are within the program or of the program that are coaching at other schools. Lance Leipold uh, from Whitewater was a great example of, of that, Somebody bringing somebody from the family who was coaching somewhere else back into the fold to lead the program.
1: Rod Sandberg, of course, the head coach at Whitworth, the longtime assistant at uh, Wheaton as well. You know, it, it's one of those things where I think especially the nature of the institution kind of lends itself to bringing an alum back. The uh, I think it's Steve Ryan is his name, is the head coach at Warningside. They're an NAIA power. I think it's official that we could say that. I don't know if he would be interested in the job, but like you said, there are Wheaton grads
0: uh, and the Wheaton coaching tree is in a lot of places. And I think the other thing you said about... um Long-time coaches hanging it up. I think those decisions are always made in advance, if not through the athletic department or through the team where everybody knows or a few select people know. I think the coach knows um, when he's going to hang it up, if it's been a 20-year or a 30-year run. And we've had a handful of those this offseason and in the, in the past few off seasons. to be uh, quite honest. Those guys know when, when they're getting on their last couple of, of years. And then I think they've gotten, you know, we've talked to enough of them over the years to know that they kind of find a point where they, um, they. I think they will always love football, but the grind is just so, because it's, it's it's you know, you play 10 games and the season is pretty condensed, but it's really a year-round grind and maybe more than it's ever been with, with the way you have to recruit and be present or, or your school has to have a presence on the recruiting trail at, at all times you know we' we're, we're a friend of the podcast and Lake Forest coach uh, Jim Catanzaro but no, but no. is um, always on Twitter kind he's like kind of always recruiting and that's like a good a good example of what um, what coaching is anymore you're obviously working with kids developing them the young men into men that you can send out in the community and they can represent your school and be good fathers and husbands and all that but for the coaches it's such it's so much more than just teaching football and and so i can see why guys would uh, would would want to hang it up after doing it for 20 or 30 years even if they've done you know for 40 years you've done almost nothing else in your professional life you know it's just such a grind and routine and it's weird when we've talked to coaches who uh give it up of course they miss it but they're also like man i don't know what it's like to be home on saturday and uh, and that'll be you know yeah. uh, mike swider will get a chance to do that and so will some of the other coach other coaches who have uh have hung up the whistle uh this offseason
1: i do want to have one of our offseason podcast interviews be with a coach who has gone through the hiring process will we often do talk to people who are new hires at their schools during the, uh, you know the off season before they start up but i think one of the things we really want to focus on is what are the mechanics of that sort of thing you know how do you how do you get yourself out there how do you get yourself hired and we'll talk more about that of course come january february When there's a little more time to do so real briefly Keith too. another uh, interesting coaching move this week was that uh, Mike Schmidt who has been the head coach at UW lacrosse for just four years but lacrosse is his alma mater uh, uh, announced that he was leaving for Northern State University which is a D2 school in South Dakota Uh, you know Schmidt had been fairly successful obviously at UW lacrosse they were 27 and 13 in those four seasons. I don't know, you know if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody at Lacrosse is like you know they've kind of peaked at seven and three the way that the Wyack is right now. Is it possible to make the next step into that top echelon where you would have to be in order to be eight and two, nine and one, six and one, you know, nine and one, six and zero, oh, and get into the playoffs? I, I wonder if that's just a, a ceiling that is going to be a detraction to people.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I think it's certainly possible. We've seen teams kind of run up against that ceiling. Uh, the best example I can think of off top is, is like Louisiana College when they were uh, competing in the American Southwest with Mary Harden Baylor but could never get over the hump. And then we've seen a few teams take five, ten years sometimes to get over the hump. I, I don't think that's um, – I think the thing we forget sometimes is that these coaches are making these decisions with, uh, with their lives in the balance too. So, so sometimes it can be as simple as this place pays more, this, this, uh, college may have a pension program, or this is closer to home or closer to my wife's home, or, um, even though you can be invested in a place and, and even occasionally when coaches go back to their alma mater, there are always reasons to leave. And sometimes the reason is competitive, you know, where you're just like, I want to move up the chain and, and, um, the only way to do it is to, is to, Make a few stops on the way to the big time uh, although as you listeners of the podcast know we here like to make the big time where we are
1: also this week uh we got the names of the glardy trophy finalists and uh surprised surprise when we were told that there were five instead of four i hope that people who watched the show on thursday watched us go through four finalists and then say hey we're not done yet. And uh, and put uh, Gavin Zimbelman's name out there as well. Uh, Jackson Erdman, of course, the St. John's quarterback, uh, Brock Rudder, North Central quarterback, Birmingham Southern running back Robert Shuford, Wyatt Smith, quarterback at Linfield and Zimbelman of Aurora are the five guys. You know, we've talked very extensively, Keith, about Erdman and Rudder, and we will do so again in this podcast. In fact, we'll talk to Rudder or hear from Rudder yep. in this podcast. Uh because those guys are still playing. Um and those are I think the the favorites obviously and they're the seniors. These other three guys are people that we're going to be hearing a lot about next year
0: as well. Yeah, and and I, I think the thing that will be illuminated as you watch the the trophy ceremony is uh what great guys they are. Um you 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 know they're good players at this point. We'll talk more about um, you know, they may be preseason All-Americans next year or, or they'll at least be on uh, on our radar as far as well-known names from from being in the Scalardi Trophy group. But I, th- I think the benefit to following the, the broadcast and to, f- to, to follow the presentation of it is to learn more about these players, especially if you're someone from from a school that uh, doesn't necessarily go head to head with any of these players or um, won't have a chance to watch them play. You just um, just have that that opportunity, I think, to to f- get to know some guys who represent Division Three well, and and we have five of them right here. Only one's going to take home the hardware, but uh, but I, I think all five will be proud of who they are. could make us proud? Sure, something like that.
1: Our friends at In The Huddle did us a solid this week and uh, lent us some sound bites, some clips of four interviews that they have on their Thursday show. So I definitely recommend that you go. If you have, you know, 50 minutes to spend to spend with Max Myler of UW-Whitewater or Richard Caravo of St. John's or Brock Rutter of North Central... Or indeed, uh, Mickey Cobra and Frank Lucchesi of Muhlenberg, you'll go do so, and uh, we'll give you like the uh, the two and a half to three and a half minute previews of each of these. And we'll start with Max Myler. He's the, of course, the quarterback for Whitewater. He talks about uh, Whitewater's. He starts by talking about Whitewater's game plan from last week against Mary Harden Baylor.
2: Basically, bully the bully. Uh, we went in there thinking we're pretty tough guys, and uh, we knew they're big up front, they're long, and the secondary, and Really what it came down to is we were more physical up front and Alex Pete, Ronnie Ponick, and uh, yeah, we were just running the ball as hard as we've ever had. Uh, so, and Jared Ware had two touchdowns, I believe. So you get the three headed monsters back there and uh, we're, we're rolling.
3: Around halftime though, things are getting a little interesting because you guys outplayed Mary harden and Baylor by all you know rights in that first half. And yet, Tevin Jones uh, tips. It looked like he almost tipped the uh, pass to himself. Can't tell if somebody else tipped it to him, but Tevin ends up with the ball. What were you saying to yourself and to your team uh, at that point? First half, I'm sure we had easily 100 yards rushing and um,
2: got a tough call on that slant route. He popped it up, and uh, number five, their linebacker, um, you know, caught it. So we were a little – I was a little nervous because, you know, that was around the 50-yard line, and – Luckily, and uh, well, our defense was stellar in that uh, next uh, series. Yeah. Jordan Brandt, I think, he had a couple sacks, and uh, they they got my back, and I was
3: I was so stoked knowing that. I think they went back like twenty yards; they didn't even get a single yard. You got a Jackson Erdman uh, character uh, coming up uh, in this uh, St. John's game coming up, who is you know probably a better quarterback than Jace Hammock is. Uh, your defense is going to have a challenge there. So is the offense going to be relied on for the same basic idea, which uh, the bully, the bully mentality that you guys employed against UMHB?
2: Yeah. Well, really, we we went in that game, not thinking about time and possession. Uh, we just wanted to run the ball effectively. And this game, I'm sure we'll be, we'll, we'll have a balanced attack. I'm sure, um, But, you know, getting him, uh, Jackson, off the field, that offense, very good. Uh, If we just keep him off the field, that'd be great. Makes the game a little easier. But, you know, it's a game. You never know what happens. Uh, Turnovers. uh, You know, we never know. So, just, we play our game. Uh, We pound the rock. That's our mentality.
1: If you go listen or watch the rest of the interview, we'll talk about the weather in Whitewater on Saturday, how he got to Whitewater as a player. He transferred from an NIIA school. And more about his background. We follow that with uh, defensive lineman Richard Caravo for St. John's. He opens by talking about uh, last week's roller coaster ride of a game, the win against Wheaton in the quarterfinals.
4: We knew they were going to be the best team um, we've played, um, obviously this far in the playoffs. Um, that that's plays true, um, and yeah, we we came in halftime um, very pleased with our performance so far as a defense uh and but we knew that they were going to come back they're a very good team um they they ground and pound it. and uh we kind of uh kind of caught our little mistakes that we made in the second half um came back strong and uh we were kind of losing a little momentum there um but we stuck together um and then when it came down to the PAT attempts uh, man i i couldn't tell you how i felt when uh first the first one goes misses but then Uh, comes back because of the rough in the kicker Um, and then the second one goes wide right you know the other one went wide left so it's like what are the odds of that happening and uh, uh, very blessed and very thankful that we came up with that win.
3: Jackson Erdman has been a special uh, quarterback for your team obviously. You practice against them all the time. Tell us what he means as a senior you've seen you know more than just Jackson Erdman uh, in the practice rounds uh, obviously uh, you know over there at St. John's What is he added what what is he in terms of that force of a quarterback that makes him and your team so special right now
4: oh man it's it's such a it's such a big question because uh there's so many good things I could say about the guy um I think the the ability for him to lead is just uh, is unmatched um, throughout our team. Um, And that ability makes um, the players kind of motivated to do their part. Um, And the guy's a playmaker. So um, when we need him, he pulls through all the time. Um, And it kind of just brings up the whole team um, for that morale aspect. Um, And uh, you know, he has a great relationship with every guy on the team um and so we kind of just all look up to him as our as our savior i I should say
5: (laughs) (laughs) yeah saint jackson um but so our friends from the around the nation podcast pat and keith uh recently had a discussion around this term which appears to be definitely happening this season this johnny magic and what what exactly to you richard is the johnny magic is it the the two missed pats is it just you know the eighty-some um, tackles that you've been able to make uh, throughout the course of the season. Is it a couple of um, you know, great plays here or there, or is it just is it more of just a feeling that the team has right now? Um, you know, getting these wins, you know, being in position now, you're one game away from this from a national championship. Is there some Johnny Magic happening? do You think uh, up there in Minnesota?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a. Uh... It's a mix of magic and uh, I think hard work that's being paid off by all of us guys on the team here. Um, but uh, I think in every sport, um, luck plays a, luck and magic, I suppose, it, uh, plays uh, plays a role as well. Um, I guess the Johnny Magic, in my my sense, would be uh, John Glardy, who passed away a couple of years ago, is uh, looking down at us uh, and giving us that uh, kind of magic for us and uh, very blessed. Um, To have the supporters that we have. Um, I think at the game last week I heard there was over 20,000 viewers and uh, that's just uh, incredible to me that uh, the alumni are looking out for us and uh, supporting us all the way through. So uh, I would say, yeah, that's the Johnny Magic way.
1: Keith, I was just happy to hear anybody say that there's also hard work involved and hard work paying off in addition to that whole Johnny Magic thing.
0: I think that goes without saying, right? You think it's all luck? It can't all be be luck or magic, but I, I do think that's sort of the sort of thing that catches on around a fan base and and everyone likes to repeat it somewhat tongue in cheek, but also they kind of sort of believe it. Do you believe in magic? In a close game, they just feel like your team is uh is gonna find a way to win, and you believe that right up until the time that they don't. Certainly that game on Saturday where whatever issues Wheaton and their fans have with the with the official throwing the flag, there were four things that Wheaton did in the final nine seconds where they could have changed the outcome of that game. They needed the tying point. They did not get it. Um, the penalty, the 12th man on the field and, and missing the kick twice. So uh, you can make an argument that it's Johnny Magic, and I you, go, you may need a little bit more uh, Magic this week, but probably you'll just need – to, uh, to be physical up front. You heard Max Mailer talk about uh, how the way his team beat up the bully and, and the bully was until Saturday. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor, that was the reigning national champion. They won with a good mix of speed and, and ferociousness uh, with both their offensive line and, and that defense that that uh, likes to sit back and, and come up and tackle in pursuit. That team's out and now you got you got big physical strong, Whitewater standing in the way of St. John's and and uh, that high-powered passing attack. I, I think you, you can't ask for a whole lot more from, uh, from a matchup on Saturday.
1: Well, and that's the matchup I'll be at. I'm looking forward to that. That, of course, is a 2 p.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Eastern kickoff. You can find it on ESPN3 in terms of the broadcast, and there's a link for that on the front page and on the scoreboard of d3football.com and my take on this game kind of goes as follows Uh, you heard from max myler of course he's the quarterback he's you know relatively new to the starting job if you go and listen to the rest of that interview you'll find out that he's one of the uh, top passers in wisconsin high school state football history and is a guy who you know who has not had uh, much need or much of an opportunity to throw the ball at whitewater they've uh, you know kept that sort of thing really under wraps because of the run game he refers to the three-headed monster right we're talking about those three guys that gave jared Ware a game ball last week alex pete and ronnie ponick in this as well offensive line big and bruising these are the guys who you know they have uh, relied on in the past to wear teams down and grind them so that you know when the third and the fourth quarter come you have the opportunity To really A control the clock, B put a game away, maybe break off a big run, like we've seen in a lot of big games from these guys in the past. On the you know, in terms of Whitewater on defense up front, you gotta bring pressure. Against Jackson Erdman now it's not unusual for him. We have talked about this before. he has talked about this on this podcast before, you know the fact that he knows that in games like this you got to have a quick release and you got to you know you got to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, this is you know we'll talk about the St. John's offensive line coming up in a moment. You know, we have talked about the secondary for UW Whitewater in the past. I'm not sure that we have the household names on this defense right now in the secondary as we have in the past or maybe they just haven't had a chance. To make a name for themselves in big games like this, this is an opportunity for those guys to step out and you know really do something and and really make people stand up, sit up, stand up, sit down, make take notice, whatever it is. Right, uh, I do want to mention, of course, upfront, Mackenzie Balanganyani. Nope, Mackenzie Balanganyi. We're going to do a P101 as soon as I find out exactly how to pronounce that name, but he is the D3Football.com West Region Defensive Player of the Year, 12 tackles for loss for the Warhawks in 11 games, 9 sacks. He's the WIAC Defensive Player of the Year, and definitely keep an eye on him and how those all-region offensive linemen for St. John's do their job and keep them off of Jackson Erdman's back you know uh, we've talked about Ben Bartsch before he's a tackle for the Johnnies he's a guy who's had a lot of NFL scouts out to look at him we talked a lot about Dan Greenheck last season at guard he was uh you know the the more prominent guy on the uh, offensive front for the Johnnies then uh, and you know those are the guys who obviously you're going to count on up front we talked about all of those sophomore receivers. We talked about Ravi Alston. We talked about uh, Henry Trost coming out of the backfield. Uh, talk about uh, Kai Barber, of course, a bruising running back. Kenneth Udoibach, who's had uh, big plays in a bunch of games, but we haven't really mentioned his name so much. And then T.J. Hodge and Matt Moore. You know, Alston and Hodge have combined for 147 catches, and those are the guys who you know really help make Erdman look good because uh, they're especially... Uh, we were talking about also we were talking to Alston earlier in the season a guy who just has, as Erdman put it, this big catch radius. Anything you put within like five yards of him, you know he is going to be able to go out and get. And then the defensive front uh, for St. John's we don't talk about nearly as much. Obviously a a big role for them in order to trying to stop their run. Richard Caravo, we talked to or heard from just a few moments ago, and he mentioned JW Windsor. Windsor is the guy who we've talked about earlier who's played at a bunch of different schools, joined the Johnnies this year as a senior. Up front, nine tackles for loss, six and a half sacks. And Danny Petruczewski is a guy who got a lot of accolades in the all-region team as well. Fifteen and a half tackles for loss and nine sacks for him. This is also one of those games, I think, where weather has an opportunity to play a role. Uh, Bad weather plays into the hands of the Warhawks. Decent weather decent December weather for Division three football plays right into the Johnny's hands and anytime Jackson Erman has a chance to throw the ball and throw the ball deep downfield and have it not affected by the wind or not have you know I don't know blowing snow in a receiver's face something like that those are the things that are going to play to the Johnny's advantage
0: on Saturday Pat, it's interesting that you mentioned the weather because the game, the SAG Bowl that, that everybody's trying to get to is in Shenandoah, Texas. The weather there should be beautiful about a week from now. It was actually uh, was kind of chilly last year, but wasn't uh, wasn't terrible. Um, you got a chance of snow, as you mentioned, and looked like in the east uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where Muhlenberg is located, looked like snow was in the forecast earlier this week. But it uh, it's going to warm up, and we're looking at fifty and rainy in Allentown on Saturday. <laughs> So that rain weather could be an issue in the other semifinal as well. And maybe that affects uh, both teams try to throw the ball a lot, actually. So uh, so that'll affect both offenses. But it does bring weather back into it where, you know, D3, the vast majority of the schools are located in the Midwest and the Northeast where it's super cold this time of year. Snow could be a factor. Wet, wet days, ice, all that stuff can can be in play. That's going to be the case in the semifinals and then we'll go to texas six days later for the championship
1: keith uh we got a message on facebook uh, a private message from a parent of a north central player i'm not going to out this person or the player but messaged us saying please consider AccuWeather forecast as you determine final semifinal site locations for december 14 to 15 huge ice storm predicted in the east safety of all participants must come first first off Always honored to th- when anybody thinks that we get to make those decisions. That's uh, certainly awesome. And uh, the other thing that I responded back to this person was that I don't think the seven-day forecast is considered. Uh, teams will travel before game day, and if the field is not safe for whatever reason, the NCAA will delay the game as needed, like happened in the 2002 quarterfinal up at Lycoming with uh, Bridgewater and Lyco. But I just found that amusing in the- to hear... You respond that, in fact, that seven-day forecast was not super accurate, uh, made me kind of chuckle.
0: Yeah, and, and you forgot the greatest weather delay of all time, the stag bowl that went from, what, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yes. So they could clear, what, nine, 18 inches of snow off the field? Yeah, 19 inches of snow, something like that. It's a- I don't know, I just made up a number. But it was, it was knee high, or thigh, not thigh, chin high. It was a lot.
1: Now to get us more ready to talk about that other national semifinal between North Central and Muhlenberg, we're going to start with the uh, In the Huddle interview with Brock Rutter. He is, of course, the North Central quarterback, and he talks about living in the moment after the Mount Union win in the second round.
3: Have you sort of you know fully digested what this playoff run, including the uh, win at Mount Union, has really meant here or how, how this has happened, or is this still kind of a surreal moment or two or three for you right now?
6: Yeah, I think it's still kind of surreal. You know, we're just living in the moment and taking it one game at a time and we're we're blessed to have this opportunity and been able to be on this run. We were so blessed to be able to get in the tournament. So once we got in the tournament we we switched our mindset to let's go win this thing. We've had this goal since the beginning of the year and we felt like we had the team to do it even after the loss to Wheaton. We still felt like we had a very talented team and uh team that can make a run at it so when we got in we thought hey let's go do this thing and we've been we've been playing our best football when it matters and we're not done yet we're not satisfied we we have bigger goals ahead of ourselves and we're just enjoying the ride and taking it one game at a time. Did you learn a lot from the loss and were the lessons perhaps
3: enough to help you guys achieve what you have since that loss to become better to maximize your potential to this point?
6: Yeah, I think, uh, I think you could take a loss two different ways as a team. You could either come together as a team and, and realize that you have a lot of stuff to improve on and that you got to work on, and or you could fall apart and hang your heads on that loss and take it hardly and not get better. But our team came together and made us closer, and every single day in practice since then we've had one mission in mind, and that's to get better every single day and take it one day at a time. And I think we've done a great job of that. you got to give credit to everyone on our team and our coaches for sticking together and hanging in as one unit. We always say fight one more round, and we've done that every single day since that game. And we handled that loss really well, and it's, it's made us a lot better, I think.
3: What do you see in that Muhlenberg defense that's especially similar to what you faced in the DelVal defense? What's different for that matter, and how do you beat a
6: team like Muhlenberg? I mean, you said it they have a they have an outstanding defense. They have a great D coordinator. They're they're very disciplined. They have one of the best fronts, probably the best front we've seen all year. So that's gonna be a great challenge for our offensive line. But, you know, we've we've said it all year, we want to be the best offense in the country and we've played top three, top four defenses in the country, so we love it. We love the challenge and we're excited to be able to go up and compare ourselves to the best defense, one of the best defenses in the country and like I said, they're they're a very disciplined, very well coached defense. They tackle well. They play their scheme very well. So it's going to be a really fun challenge for us this week, and we're looking forward to it. I mean, this is what you want as a football player. It's the semifinals. You're going up against what people say is the best defense in the country, and we've seen it on film. We're ready. We're ready to go out and prove that we feel like we're the best offense in the country and one of the best teams. So we want to we want to go out and prove it.
1: In order for Rudder. And the offense to prove it they're gonna have to do it against the likes of Mickey Cobra and Frank Lucchesi they talk about the mindset and the character of the Muhlenberg defense to start off
7: Muhlenberg's defense is really tailored around playing unselfish uh, doing your job doing your 111th Um, you know this past Saturday Salisbury had a very dynamic offense uh, and an offense we have never seen uh, this year or you know in any years really Um, you know Our defensive coordinator, Coach David, uh, dialed something up for the triple option. And it was a matter of everyone, you know, uh, doing their assignment. And uh, I think we did that to the best of our ability. And uh, we got to shut down a very high-powered offense to 176 yards and eight
8: points. Yeah, I think kind of just buying into Coach David's scheme, it's really easy to play fast and hard for someone that you respect and love so much. Um, We know that our coaching staff is going to have the best scheme for us going in to every game. They're going to put us in the right... Position it's whether we make the play or not. So just thriving off Muhlenberg's tenets of flying to the ball, getting eleven hats there, and being physical all the time is kind of what led to our success against Salisbury. What's
5: it? You know what's, what's it like for you know you know here you guys are. You got the biggest game of your career a couple of a uh, couple of days away, but you know you're still students. I guess that's the beauty of Division three, right? You you still got to you know crack the books and um and get the grades, especially at a school like Muhlenberg. What's this week been like for you guys, you know, kind of post-Thanksgiving, post, uh, post Thanksgiving, you know, into finals and, and uh, you know, getting near to the, the end of the football season?
7: Uh, I think we, we, we treat it like every other week, um, you know, to, cracking down on books, going to meetings. I know this week's a little bit more for most people because you have to spend more than, you know, the average, you know, 12 to 24 hours a week on work. Uh, people are cramming work at night. But uh, the coaches did a very good job of uh, planning practice and meetings around our schedule, uh, giving us time to sleep a little bit and uh, focus on our studies.
8: And I would also say like the beautiful thing about Muhlenberg is that you can do both. You can be a student athlete and first and foremost, get those books done. But at the end of the day, there's not many opportunities to play in a Final Four. And we just want to get after it on every aspect. We're using Muhlenberg kind of maybe our academic or athletic ability to get here and then just using it as a vehicle to reach our full potential.
3: Now that you see Mount, er, Mount Union lose to North Central, what does that tell you about this North Central team overall?
8: Yeah, um, I can take this one. Um, anytime you beat a Mount Union, you know you have a very solid football program. Um, we've watched a lot of film on North Central already. Um, their offense is super impressive. And us being two defensive guys, we know we have a lot on the plate that we have to, to handle. But we're excited for the challenge, and that's kind of the reason why we come to Muhlenberg. We don't want to be in the games where you blow teams out. We want to be in the close games that matter the most.
7: Yeah. Also, building off that, um, yeah, we treat it like every other week. Uh, any team in front of us, we're a very confident group of guys. Uh, you can put anyone out there, and we're we're going to play it to the best of our ability and and make you make you earn the make you earn the win.
1: One good point brought up is that uh, you know these are two Pennsylvania defenses, I guess that uh, uh, North Central has faced over the course of the last couple of weeks. I hadn't really thought of it that way and, and we talked about like the nature of the Mac and uh, you know in kind of implicit comparison to the nature of the centennial. But these are both, you know, Delaware Valley last week and Muhlenberg the this week, really challenging defenses. and I would expect, I guess, to see Muhlenberg hold, the North Central offense under the 31 points that they scored last week, either any number that is uh, reasonable for North Central is still going to be much more than Muhlenberg has scored uh, or allowed, I should say, here over the course of the playoffs, as uh, you mentioned earlier, Keith. Those eight points in those three games is a really impressive defensive total, regardless of who it's against, especially when one of those games is against one of the top-rated offenses in
0: Division Three. Yeah, I'm going to mention all this stuff again when I get into my official preview, but as far as you uh, mentioning the Pennsylvania-ness of the defenses is, uh, is interesting <laughs> because I do think uh, Pennsylvania kids re- regard themselves as sort of tough in a certain kind of way. I think Duke Greco said that on our podcast a couple weeks ago, but I think the thing that Muhlenberg and DelVal have in common is the uh, is the edge rushers. They both just have uh, great, great defensive ends, and then another rusher across from the the, the outstanding defensive end which uh, which makes it so that you can't just focus on the one. So I, I do think they do have something in common defensively, although I think they're probably pretty different personnel-wise on the back end.
1: Yeah, that was Michael Nobile, of course, the uh, D3Football.com East Region Defensive Player of the Year. And this weekend, it is Frankie Feaster of Muhlenberg, the D3Football.com South Region Defensive Player of the Year. Keith, what's your take on that North Central Muhlenberg game then?
0: Well, it's North Central at Muhlenberg. The team from Illinois is coming into Pennsylvania, and we're going to find out on Saturday whether we live in a golden age of offense or whether defense still wins championships. All right, maybe that's too grand a pronouncement to make about a single college football game, but there are some big themes at play. Heading into the playoffs, Wheaton, Mountain Union, and Delaware Valley were the top three defenses in the country. In the past two weeks, North Central has scored 59 against the Purple Raiders and 31 against the Aggies. And their rivals across town and across the bracket, as they were eliminated, away went the only defense to shut North Central down this season. Wheaton held the Cardinals to 21 back in October. DelVal allowed 31 last week, and everyone else has given up 42 or more. Meantime, Muhlenberg famously has given up one touchdown in three playoff games and held Salisbury, which scored 83 in its playoff opener and 62 against an 11-0 team in round two to eight points last week. So in the simplest of storylines, something has to give. Does Gallardi Trophy finalist quarterback Brock Rutter carry his team into North Central's first stag bowl? Do Frankie Feaster and Dante Leonardo and the Mules' defense sack their way into the program's first stag bowl? Oh, and do the other two units, Muhlenberg's offense and special teams, North Central's defense and special teams, make plays that change the game? The key matchup to watch is the Mules' defensive backs against North Central wide receivers Andrew Kaminsky and D'Angelo Hardy, who combined for 16 catches, 214 yards, and two touchdowns last week against a very good Valle defense. Muhlenberg has faced some great quarterbacks, and there are probably some good rushing attacks during the season as well. But they're going to find out very quickly that there's no offense as complete from O line and running game to wide out and quarterback as North Central's. But the Mules defense has been historically good, lowering their yardage allowed average from 270 a game at the start of the playoffs to 243 as we sit here today. And, and the Mules can score. They'll need more out of All American tight end Ryan Curtis than they needed to beat Salisbury. So the defense doesn't have to be perfect but at some point it's going to need stops and who makes its first stag bowl might come down to a drive in which Muhlenberg's all-star defense needs to do something against North Central's star-studded offense.
1: Keith, I am looking forward to watching that game. I guess I don't know who is calling the game on ESPN3. Often this has been a Michael Ray guy game in that part of the country. I don't know if they'll send him out of Cleveland to there if they send him out of Cleveland to Whitewater, but he's a guy who's called a bunch of semifinals for ESPN3. And I'll just be interested to see to what the Mühlenberg Stadium looks like on ESPN3 because you know it's not a uh, really tall set of stands, not a really tall press box, you're not going to have a great angle unless they bring in like a big crane and put your uh, put your camera one up on a big crane. That's probably safe to do so if that's possible, but I'm really interested to see what that looks like because you know, I've been to Mühlenberg but not since 2007 or so or the second round of 2006. It would just be interesting to see what it looks like on a professional broadcast by a professional broadcast organization.
0: Yeah, Muhlenberg, if you have to put their stadium into one of the groups of stadiums and longtime podcast listeners know we have like built near a cemetery, (laughs) built by train tracks, built with buildings surrounding the field. This is kind of half in the building surrounding the field group Their their athletic center, which has like a glass facade. Is mm-hmm. one of the end zones, so it's it's one of the original take it to the house kind of places. There actually is a house. Yeah, I wouldn't call it house, but there's a building at one end of the end zone, and the other side's kind of open and faces toward a residential neighborhood, which is really D three and really kind of old school. So it's got this newfangled one side where it looks like Muhlenberg is keeping up with the times, and then it's got this other side that's like uh, old time Allentown. In a, in a tiny little college just, that just happened to grow into uh, the rest of a city, which is kind of cool. So you'll have the the both fields both will be visible hopefully on Saturday unless ESPN's got its cameras only pointed one direction. I think the other thing is ESPN is pretty used to going to Mountain Union or Mary Harden Baylor this time of year, places that know how to host camera crews and how to have – um, replay involved in the games and and how to get uh, fans in and out. And so this is all new for, Mule- for Muhlenberg, and I think that's cool. And I think for viewers, this is just going to be a new experience to just see a new team, a new college, and, and a team that it can relate to in the sense that you can be – I'll just pick like a random – like Whitworth. Or you can be, I don't know, Framingham State. Or you could be Methodist or someone, and you can say – Our program could someday do what Muhlenberg's doing because Muhlenberg is a pretty good program for most years in its conference that is on a tremendous stretch right now. It's had a a great coach for a long time. It's obviously got a great coaching staff now. And and honestly, if somebody's not in a rush to make a hire, they should wait a couple weeks and and figure out how to snag uh, Muhlenberg's defensive coordinator. That's another story for another day, though. I think a lot of teams can relate to to what Muhlenberg is doing here. And so if you're looking for an underdog to pull for, considering that North Central has been a national power for better part of 15 years, St. John's and Whitewater have won Stag Bowls before, that's your, Muhlenberg is your underdog that you're looking to root for. This team's hosting a semifinal game that's going to be on ESPN. That's something that many schools across D3 could possibly see their college doing someday so so that's your sort of lovable relatable underdog if you're looking for one and these guys are loaded they've been ranked in the top 10 all season so they're not like the under underdog but if you're looking for some some reason if you just need to pick one of these four teams maybe Muhlenberg is your your dog or your horse as it were or your mule your ass can we say that
1: I think we can. Hey, before we leave this segment, there was just one thing I wanted to say like two and a half minutes ago about the stadium. If you're a CCIW fan, uh, compare it to Elmhurst. It's like Elmhurst uh, at like 90% scale, just uh, slightly smaller than that. Very similar, surrounded by the buildings. You got the neighborhood. You got your athletic center in the one end zone. And I think that uh, you'll get the general picture of what uh, you're seeing in Muhlenberg. The
5: points don't matter. That's right points don't matter it's called being a professional points don't matter you play to win the game and then i give them points i don't know why it's just a gag to tie the show together now if you want to crown them then crown their
1: ass speaking of crowning there. well anyway uh quick hits is our weekly friday look at that upcoming set of games we've got six people giving answers and predictions on the scores here in the playoffs, and uh, Keith, I know we've been unofficially keeping track of the thing that we're not officially keeping track of, but, uh, you know, the, the points matter,
0: I guess. That's right. The points don't matter. Well, yeah, the, the thing we always try to say is when we put our picks out there, you know, you can taunt us on Twitter or whatever it's not really about can Pat pick more correct than Keith and Ryan. It's just to set a national expectation so that if you turn on Saturday's game and Muhlenberg is beating North Central 40 to 10, you'll be like, whoa, holy crap, nobody picked 40 to 10. Or maybe one of you is going to pick that. I don't know. We haven't seen the picks yet, but that's sort of the gist of it. But since we're here and since we love to poke fun at each other and hold each other accountable, uh, last week – Everybody picked Mary Harden Baylor to beat Whitewater. We all missed that. So yeah, jokes yeah, on us. Yeah, or we just yeah. maybe um kind of were just gonna go with the national champions until somebody beat them. And, and Whitewater did that. So respect to them. But that that is a quick hit pick that we all missed. Um myself, Adam, and Frank, we all picked the Johnnies. The other three of you picked Wheaton. I think uh I think actually think that game being a three-three split was probably a surprise to me. I thought I was going out on a limb picking the Johnnies because everybody was so high on, on Wheaton coming out of the second week of the playoffs, given that Wheaton had beaten North central by two touchdowns, North central beat mountain union. Oh no. Maybe Wheaton is a stag team. There was sort of, there was no weakness to that team. And I think it was a shock to some people that St. John's was able to hang 34 on them, but you have an all time great quarterback. That's sort of what happens. Ryan, Adam, and Frank picked Muhlenberg. The other three of us picked Salisbury and we were wrong there. And, uh, Everybody picked North Central except Frank. He couldn't resist picking the easternmost team alive still in the playoffs. Actually, I think Salisbury is technically more to the east coast than than Doylestown, Pennsylvania. But Frank picked Delval. Everybody else picked North Central. So um, most of us went two and two last week. Adam Turner went three and one. Pat, you and Greg went one and three. All of us for the entire postseason. Are 22 and 6, 21 and 7, or 20 and 8. So if we were keeping track, I guess we are officially keeping track, but we, it shouldn't matter that much. Um, but one of us, somebody can still win this thing. Everyone can still win this thing. Um, of the score picks, since uh, since the picks at this level um, are really detailed, we'll give you a few sentences and we'll pick a score. Again, we're trying to just set an expectation so that you know. When you see this this surprising score on Saturday, uh, you know you know it when you see it, because not everybody follows the teams across the country as closely as some of the folks on the panel do. The uh, the really good pick last week, I think the the surprising one. Adam picked Muhlenberg 24 Salisbury 18. That final was 24 to eight. Frank picked 17 10 in that game, and both of them picked not only Muhlenberg to win but Salisbury to be held to a pretty low score and i think for me uh that offense being held to eight was a bit of a surprise even though there are times we've seen over the years where option offenses get shut down i thought the salisbury offense just had the ability to to move the ball through the air a little bit Uh, i picked the johnnies to win by one point but i was a touchdown up on each one i had 30 42 41 adam had 35 31 and the final on that one was 34 33 that's a pick that's worth calling out None of the uh, Whitewater, nobody had Whitewater, so nobody gets any props for that. And then uh, North Central, I had North Central 35, Delaware Valley 14, and that final was 31-14. So we'll put ourselves out on a limb again this week. And if we pick the wrong team, you guys can bark at us on Twitter. But one requirement, you got to put your score out there first, too, so that when you taunt one of the, the folks on the panel, you can say, see, I knew what I was talking about, or... I had blind allegiance to my favorite team, and I just happened to be right. One of those two things is going to happen.
1: Yes, one of those things will happen. Uh, And you can see this week's quick hits on the website uh, by Friday afternoon. Uh, As Keith said, uh, we'll uh, not only have a score prediction for these, we'll have a little more description, justification for why it might be so. And then next week for Stag Bowl 47, we will expand the panel, the panel. We can expand the panel beyond our six guys and add. Uh, typically, we'd uh, try to add local media for each of the two schools participating, and maybe I don't know if there's a prominent Division III alum from one of those schools that we want to include as well. We might uh, go get predictions from them, and you can find that on the website. Uh, in that case, by Friday morning for that uh, Friday night game on December twentieth in Stag Bowl 47. And, of course, we'll have lots of coverage leading up to Stag Bowl 47 and in Shenandoah, Texas. So keep an eye out for that, as this was D3Football.com and Around the Nation podcast number 267, released on December thirteenth, 2019. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on that coverage that uh, we just promised you throughout the weekend and headed into the next week. If you like our podcast, this is where we talk about how you rate it. You rate it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or any of the places that offer you podcasts because that will help other football fans find it. We really appreciate that, too. It's good to know people are listening. I mean, we get, like, numbers that tell us, you know, X number of thousand people listening, but it's good to know that you like it. You can also leave comments on a specific episode on the blog page for that episode as well. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com, also on Spotify. Lots of audio this week from our friends at uh, in the huddle. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, Frank Rossi and James Baker for uh, doing that show, and they do that stuff twice a week as well max myler of uw whitewater richard caravo of st john's uh, brock rudder of north central and then mickey cobra and frank Lucchesi of Muhlenberg. thank you for their time and assistance on this show this edition of our show and of course thanks to the creator of around the nation on d3football.com and my co-host keith mcmillan
0: are we faded to black here um you said pi- you said piano, and it sounded like piano, and I thought it meant you were gonna play a bedtime story again.
1: <laughs> no, um, but if you've gotten this far in the podcast, you have heard the piano man himself uh, and the beginning of uh, that uh, song, "Allentown," at least once. So, wow,
0: that's a that's a not a deep cut, but a, a, a deft maneuver to get that in there.
1: Keith not only of course uh, is there a game being played in Allentown but we talked about train tracks running right by a division three stadium so it just felt like the beginning of that song was uh, was begging to be in this podcast
0: all right well now he's trying to go a little over my head like when coach Cat and I talk about hip-hop so let's not get too much into the details
1: if you want white guys playing the piano this is the this is the person on the podcast to talk to
0: sing me a song I'm the piano man is that you uh, yeah, I'm a sure. terrible singer, by the way, just for the record. One thing I've not mentioned on Twitter and nowhere i it was like one of those out of the side of my eyes observations, um, and I just I haven't—I don't know where to put it yet. Um, in the post game at Salisbury Muhlenberg, they had four of their players up there which Coach Milne. and um, Frankie Feaster had a stag bowl hat on, like a win, like a stag bowl winter hat. And I'm, I meant to ask him, and you know, the, the, you start talking about the game, and you forget him, and then I forgot about it until I was driving home. So I don't know where he got a Stag Bowl hat or how he got it, and. If they go to the Stag Bowl this week, maybe it'll be a cool thing to ask about. But to me, I looked at it as, hmm, that's that's like a a sign, you know, or somebody who's been thinking about going to the Stag Bowl, or maybe he just went last year and worked at the kids' clinic or something. But um, that's something I wanted to mention, that Muhlenberg has had its eyes on the Stag Bowl or its head Stag Bowl on its head. I don't know. They've
1: had the Stag Bowl on their mind.
0: There you go. Dang, how did I miss
1: that? I have not seen the traveling trophy that Lycoming and Susquehanna play for. Is that by any chance the famed Stag Hat?
0: Ooh, it is. I thought that hat was more of a derby. Yeah, I'm sure. And this is a uh, act, you know a winter hat that you probably can buy in a store or order online, maybe. I don't. Know, it was all black with the Stag Bowl logo on it, right in the front. Um, I should have asked him about it, but you know, I just didn't think of it. But it, uh, but. If they make it to the stag bowl, there's definitely some kind of like foreshadowing or something going on there.
1: Do you want that part in the podcast or do you want to save it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's why I said it. I figured it's worth putting in there.
1: Oh good, because we're still rolling.
0: Oh, finally, you let it roll.
5: Let it roll. There'll be a time to uh to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.